Apps have changed nearly everything about how we live, how we stay connected socially, how we engage in e-commerce, how we run our businesses. They've also completely transformed the darker world of cybercrime, hacktivism, espionage, and warfare. For why the focus on applications? Simple. They're the reason people use the internet. Applications communicate, calculate, process, store, search, coordinate, and forecast for us. They are the muscles of the business. Thus, they must function when they need to, and they must function as expected. This is Sarah Boddy, Director of Threat Research at F5 Labs. And this is Ray Pompon, Principal Threat Researcher at F5 Labs. And we conducted a year-long research study to see how applications are being attacked. This research, the Application Protection Report, has confirmed what we saw in our own experience. Apps are the primary targets for attackers. So in this four-part podcast series, we're going to share our findings. Some of them are alarming. Some of them are not so surprising at all. And we are going to help you prioritize what you should focus on to reduce your application risk. Thank you for joining us again. This is episode three of our podcast series on the Application Protection Report. Um, and I'm here with the author Raymond Pompom, and we are going to talk about access attacks um, that turn into breaches. Um, so specifically in relation to the access attacks that you discovered in the cases that you reviewed from the Attorney General's office, um, there, there are really five things that came out um, in terms of how access control attacks are happening um, in relation to breaches. So the top one was credentials stolen from email followed by misconfigurations, then brute force attacks, then credential stuffing in general, um, followed by social engineering. So um, not surprising finds. Um, access control as a whole is not really a sexy way to attack somebody, but it is um, very effective. It's invisible. It's I mean, you know, yeah. oftentimes if you've got the access credentials, you look like a legitimate login. Yeah. And so it just passes right through everything and you look like you become the user and you have direct access to their data, to their apps, to do what they, to become them. Yep. Yep. I, I think that's the really troubling part, right? The majority of what we're seeing from access attacks at this point um, appear to be legitimate users and legitimate passwords because they are. They mm -hmm. are legitimate creds that are stolen from somewhere else. Correct. A lot of what you're seeing is credential stuffing, right? And it, it is yes. literally a, a legitimate access and authorization. Right. And, and you know, we, we kind of kicked this around in the, in the research, Dan, about um, the, the you, I've, I've talked to customers who are victims of cred stuffing attacks, and you could even see it in some of the breach letters, just the way it's written, where an organization gets hit by a cred stuffing attack. And, and to briefly talk about what that is, is you see these giant organizations that are breached and the usernames and passwords are taken. The usernames are usually email addresses. And so attackers just load these into their bots and start spraying across the internet trying to log in to see where they've got it. You know, I've got a bunch of, you know, Ray Pompon at, you know, billybob.com and his password is pickle. So now I've got that. Now I'm going to try that against, you know, a major banking site, a major e-commerce site and see what I get because his odds are that it's going to work there because he uses the name, username and password everywhere. Yep. So you see these attacks come against an organization and they may not have done anything wrong, but maybe their their customers have their and their clients have are using the, the same username and password and they're they're getting compromised and, and data is flowing out. So you see this in the breach letter, like, well, we think your account has been defrauded because it looked like it was part of this this cred stuffing campaign. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, of course, the organization who's feeling the bite for this, they also every time you see a big breach happening, you know, you, the, the cred stuffing attacks come in later. 
um, they're under tremendous load. So these credit stuffing attacks come in and they can actually load your the internet resources for you as they're trying to log in and try all these things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's consuming bandwidth, it's consuming compute power, and guess what? In the world of, of the cloud and, and managed services, that's actually costing organizations money. I've seen organizations where cred stuffing attacks have driven up their load such to the point it was costing them thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars per month just in managing all those logins and trying to reject them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's a real pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was running Security at Demand Media, if any one of our providers um, or even like an email service you know, that we knew some of our employees used, anytime they would get breached, we'd go on this massive password reset panic, and it would take weeks to get everybody to reset their password. Meanwhile, you're dealing with executives, you know, upset because they can't get into their applications, and you're yes. dealing with resetting multi-factor authentication, and it's an absolute mess. Um, and we know, um, somebody did a dedupe between LinkedIn and Yahoo's databases, and 65% of them were the same. Mm. I was surprised it was that low, Right. So it is absolutely something that security professionals have to do now. Whenever you're like the downstream impacts of other people's breaches impacting you is a real threat from a, on, on a regular basis. And it does cost not just dollars, but operational costs, which which turns into money. People cost money, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and then, uh, you know, we were we did a survey as part of this report and we found um, we, we one of the things we asked people was, uh, what are you using for authentication on your app? And 75% were using unique username and password to the app. And again, it's not surprising to see that because it's cheap and it's easy and it's just, it's what we, people are used to. But at the same time, passwords are just, they're, they're weak. And, and you know, I, 75% is a high number. We're seeing numbers that are starting to rise for single sign-on and multi-factor and federate, federation, but they're still at 50% or so adoption and growing. And as a security professional, I'd love to see those numbers flipped. I'd like to see more of that because of the pain of an access attack, the cost of an access attack. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that 75% number only protected with username and passwords is unsettling, right? Um, especially when we know that username and passwords are not a way to protect an application this day and age. They're basically for tree houses, right? I, I, I didn't make that up, I stole that from somebody. Um, but uh, we did some research in a different um, research series where we did the math on the amount of people online and there are three username and password pairs per person online that are already breached in public information for attackers to stuff into applications. So it, protecting uh, an application with a username and password only is not access protection whatsoever. I'm going to say, I can, I can take this down to the micro level. So a conversation I had with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, non, non-computer person, was talking about how her her phone was breached. And then it was like, so so what does this mean? And then as we started talking, I was like, oh, no, it was really your email that was breached. And it's like, you know, you, they really, it was your username and password to your email, which is a gateway to your phone. And she was like, well, how did that happen? And I said, well, do you use the same username and password on, on all your accounts? Like say, you know, your LinkedIn and your Yahoo and your and all these other accounts. She just looked at me like, Mm-hmm. Well, of course I do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let well, me you, tell you, know you about they... something called cred stuffing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's usernames and passwords are just, I mean, this it's like tissue paper. It's yep. just so easy to, to, to pop through. Yep. Yep. So the other thing that was interesting to me is brute force came up. Um, I was kind of surprised it was that low given how much default credentials still exist. And, and that's the common way that attackers are getting in, right? They're, they're doing a brute force attack, but usually they're trying default credentials first. And you've done some research in that in the ThingBot arena about yeah. brute force. And yeah. we, to the point where we were just so tired of seeing it, we just published the top 50. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We had been seeing the same attack credentials for, for so many periods in a row. We do six-month intervals of the IoT research um, to the point where the four 
fourth report in, so two years in, we just started publishing what those attacked credentials were. Um, and, and that thing about research plays into this whole credential stuffing thing too, because what attackers are doing with the massive troves of data they have of compromised username and passwords that they're using for credential stuffing, they're just leveraging thing bots. So bots made out of IoT devices to just automate the credential stuffing at scale. Right, right. And I've actually I've done some interesting research on how that works. And, and you know, there's a lot, the bots are much more intelligent. It used to be like, we're just going to shovel usernames and passwords as fast as we can. But no, there's like, try so many at so many rate and spread them around from and all the different IP addresses of my botnet. And, and, you know, I've seen this actually in IDS logs where you see somebody you know, working through a list and then they're trying, they came from this country and then immediately another name or an IP address from another country. And it's like they're working the list and they're distributing it across a botnet. So you can't use GeoIP blocking or even blacklisting because... Mm-hmm. You know, and and even rate limiting because they, yeah. they they're calculating for that. Yeah, talk about geolocation blocking. A lot of infected IoT devices are inside the United States. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Where most of us work, and you can't you can't block U.S. traffic, right? A lot of people used to be like, oh, we'll just block China. Well, you've got all these you know vulnerable infected IoT devices all over people's homes in the U.S. What are you going to do about that? You you can't. Right? right, right. So you literally have to deal with access control with access control preventative measures like multi-factor authentication and adaptive mm. auth and and some of the more technically advanced application or access control um, security controls. But they're not that advanced. These things have been around for a long time. People just aren't implementing them that well. Well, and there's administrative controls that have been around forever, like least privilege and mm-hmm. role-based security. I'm uh, Having been uh, under a tremendous amount of audit in my previous career to the point where I wrote a book about audit that just because, like, uh, you know, I lived it. Um, having to deal with Sarbanes-Oxley and the rules around that, about using least privilege, about terminating accounts and changing passwords when people leave. I mean, that, that basic, seems like ba- yeah, basic stuff. yeah. Hygiene, hygiene things that should be done. And, and actually, if we go back to our data here, we see access misconfiguration, 23% of the causes of access compromise. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, that's dumb stuff that we should know better. We should, as an industry, we should just not be doing this. There were stats in your report that less than 50% of the respondents were actually changing passwords when people change job roles. Yes. That is an absolute socks fail. Like you were talking, you know, material deficiencies yeah. and, you know, auditors up you Yes. Know, I up mean, that, that gets, <laughs> written, that gets written up and, and you're in trouble. Yeah. Or fired. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so we talked about access control from a, um, a human account standpoint. Let's get into APIs and right. and service accounts and administrative accounts, because that's a big area that we know attackers target. Yes. And that's something that often goes missed. It's invisible, because um, the way humans interact with the, with the internet, especially with mobile clients, you don't think about APIs or, or service accounts, because you don't see them. You don't, They're hidden on, on web stubs or buried, and yet you'll see things where the API has full access to the app because, you know, often it's it's instrumented so that you can do whatever you want via an API mm-hmm. or that's how the mobile client atta- attaches to the to the actual server to pull data down to, to populate the, the app. So the APIs have all this ability and then people think, well, we'll just use the same kind of, you know, username password there and maybe even it'll be a long, weird password that will hard code into the app <laughs> <laughs> that we end up, you know, putting up online somewhere because the source code's out there. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a plot spot that's not tested well, and it's it's sort of like that's your Achilles heel to the entire app mm-hmm. APIs, and then you know service accounts, and you get these monitoring accounts and things. Or you know, if you look at how attackers actually operate once they break in, you know, and they try to escalate privileges, you know, they're of course going for the sysadmin accounts, mm-hmm. and they love like 
monitoring accounts. Yeah, because they're invisible. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you and those also happen to be the top admin credentials in our in our in our IoT reports that we publish. Yes, um, those admin creds creds that they go after, you know, spread far beyond IoT devices. Yes, but never surprising to see things like Nagios and Scom and right, right. And that's the thing. It's like if you are a bad guy, why not? Why wouldn't you want to look like Nagios? Because you've got to log into every device on the in mm-hmm. the network, and woohoo! You mm-hmm. know, you've got full pr- deployment tools. Yes, puppet. Yes. Not picking on them specifically, but attackers do use those default creds. Yes, yes. And, and sometimes the creds are, are not, you know, username and password, but they're access keys, mm-hmm. SSH keys, mm-hmm. API keys. Mm-hmm. And those things get left around or never rotated. GitHub? Yes. They they upload, they put them in their code and then they upload them to, to public repository to the point where now you see them actually scanning to just warn you like, hey, you just did something dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, clean this up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it just it's it's the, the again it's the basic things that we're still failing as an industry twenty years later. Yep, bringing that whole scheme back. Yeah, <laughs> the right things to do have been the right things to do for a long time. It's an implementation issue, oh, and they make your network run better. Yeah, but I but I do realize that access control as a whole is actually pretty difficult to accomplish. Like, yes. who has multi-factor authentication one hundred percent deployed across their employee base that that was a very hard you know thing to, to pull out and I mean stats wise in our surveys it showed it was it was not that prevalent it's hard it is hard and it, it can be expensive because that's what it's hard expensive it, it's got lots of opportunities to fail it impacts your entire employee pace people aren't happy with it half the time like access control is actually pretty hard to to accomplish and, and that's a big reason why we split this out as its own tier mm-hmm. both for the attacks and the defense because it's something that really you need to pay attention to it's a it's a daily operational job right right the um the interesting thing you were talking about like um it is expensive and hard and that's why you use risk to target and look at your most important apps or your most important data and sometimes what's most important to you may not be the most important thing to an attacker yep um yeah we were talking about in in research about attackers targeting doing access attacks in order to steal more access Mm -hmm. because that in itself is valuable to Mm -hmm. attackers Mm -hmm. yeah the more data they collect the smarter their automation is Mm -hmm. right um, one of the things we found in, in the, the previous breach work that you and I did was that um, attackers were collecting more data out of breaches that started with an access attack than they did out of breaches that started with a web application attack. One of my theories on that is like they're going after applications that just have, you know, massive troves of username and passwords and they might not ever have like PII, right? They just might be like generic websites that have logins because you want to make comments. But they know that people reuse username and passwords, you know, across pretty much everything they use online. So they can pop some no-name app that might have, you know, 10 million customers behind it. And the only thing they get is username and passwords. But that data is immensely valuable to them. It enhances their ability to credential stuff on things that are more valuable, that have more valuable data on the back end, like credit cards and checking accounts and things like that. And because cybercrime is a business, it doesn't necessarily mean that particular attacker is going to do it. It just means that there's a market for it. Oh, they can absolutely. Sell it. They're yeah. selling it immediately. Yes. Yeah. There's data brokers and yeah. there's data users. Right. Right. It's an industry. <laughs> yes. Yes. And wherever the money is, is where they're going to go. Yeah. So from your perspective, if you wanted to prioritize access control, would you start with APIs? And, uh, and would those be on your list of admin service accounts yes, that are yes. the most important to start with yes followed I mean, by privileged users i would actually probably bundle them together because i mean usually apis have some sort of admin access depending mm-hmm. um and there's something that's not well tested not every 
vulnerability scanner or tool can actually see them. And yeah. sometimes they're running on different ports even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it is something that it's, it, it, I call attention to it because people don't call attention to it. And it's super important now and will be more important moving into the future because apps are moving into basically orchestrations of APIs and, and right. serverless computing. Right. And, and it's and only going to grow. Actually, you brought up a point too. When I say API, people think immediately, like as I was saying, a mobile client or some sort of client talking to a server. But also you have apps talking to apps, talking mm -hmm. to apps. And sometimes we're not even talking about apps on the level of this is a full-blown app, but this is like an, you know a microservice talking to another microservice and an organization is stitching these together on the fly to create new apps for their users as needed. Well, what's that glue? That's all APIs with, with some sort of authentication all working together. Yep. So steal that or knock that out, and you've just messed up a huge ecosystem yep. that's, that's important to somebody. Yep. Yep, 100%. All right, well, there you have it. That is... Uh, concluding podcast number three on the application protection report specifically about access control risks and threats and breaches so thank you for tuning in thank you